This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing people, Paul Jaceley. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. This week is uh, not going to be as sad and depressing as last week. I can promise you that. <laughs> I <But> can't. <laughs> actually, really, I was going to say, on the flip side, it might be. But anyways, let's, let's talk about what we've been up to, how we've been. So I'm going to ask the question I ask every week. And it's how have you been, and how have comic books been, Paul? Uh, well, I've been good. I've been busy, which means the number of comics I've read has uh, is smaller than usual. But don't let the lack in quantity uh, imply a lack in quality, because they're all very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I've been trying to make it through a lot of the you know trades and collections that have been accumulating, both physically and digitally, uh, around my apartment. So that's kind of been my focus lately. Okay. And uh, one of the things I read was DC Bombshells, uh, the first trade enlisted. Uh, this was the digital first series that DC does. And then, you know, they do it first digitally week to week, and then they publish physical versions for some reason. But um, it's by Marguerite Bennett, and it has a rotating cast of artists, including Ming Doyle, uh, Laura Braga, and Marguerite Savage. I'm never sure how to pronounce her last name. I assume it's like think, Savage, like Randy Savage. I think it's like Salvage. Isn't there a U in there? Yeah, that doesn't mean you pronounce that either. Um, right, right. I've always said Salvage, so if you want to join me in at <laughs> least 10 to 15 months of being repeatedly wrong, uh, sure. say, say Salvage. <laughs> <laughs> well, however you say it, her artwork is lovely. Um, it's Fjallkoff. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's a deep cut. So, um, this book was very good. I was very surprised. I picked it up on one of the Comixology sales that they do occasionally, which uh, mm-hmm. occasionally drains my wallet to levels that I'd rather not admit. But um, mm, this right. was a good purchase because I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. The, so the DC bombshells, if you ever look you know, deep in the pages of the DC solicits and previews, they always have those like statues that they sell, that DC Direct sells. And mm-hmm. there's those weird statues that are basically World War II pinup versions of... Uh, superheroines and DC characters. This is a comic book essentially based on those statues, which in theory sounds like it would be terrible, but it's actually a really smart, funny, feminist-minded comic about these superheroines fighting against Nazis in World War II. I really, really enjoyed it. And you have... Everyone loves a good fight against Nazis. (laughs) Exactly. I'm a sucker for that stuff, and uh, there's there's no better way to spend your time than fighting Nazis. Um, but this is really enjoyable. I, I thought I, I like that it was set in you know the 1940s. They really played to that style and the artwork and the costumes and such, the political atmosphere. At the same time, it's progressive. You have Batwoman in a uh, you know a relationship with uh, Maggie Sawyer. You know, so that it's all there. All the stuff you know about these characters in that sort of World War II setting. I probably have to go back and buy the other volumes now since I enjoyed that first volume so much. So yeah, for a comic that's based on these sort of weird cheesecakey pinup versions of characters, it's actually very smart and fun. So that was a pleasant surprise. I also picked up the Jack Kirby pencils and inks collection that IDW put out um, around Christmas time. Oh boy! So do you know those big? Yeah. So IDW does those. Oh, big, that like, that, uh, that does not sound like a cheap book. That sounds <laughs> yeah, like a, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm already scared by the title. No, no, no. So I know IDW does those like artist edition books that are like the oversized original pencils and inks books That's and what they're I'm thinking of. incredibly expensive and cr- incredibly oversized this is the artisan edition which is a smaller more affordable version of that essentially okay 
they don't have the actual full-size artwork. What they have are photocopies of the pencils that Kirby did back in the 70s, and they have the inked pages that Mike Royer did. So this collection um, is pretty affordable. It's only I think it's only 50 bucks, but it reprints the first three the first issues of the Demon, Commandy, and Omac. So one page is Kirby's pencils, and then the facing page is the inked art by Mike Royer. And it's it's awesome. Oh. Of course I love this stuff. And it's beautiful just to look over these pages and take it all in line by line. Um, Mike Royer is my favorite Kirby inker. I know Kirby fans have their own special picks of their favorite inkers. Some people like um, Joe Sinnott the best. Uh, no one likes Vince Coletta. Um, but Mike <laughs> Royer's always been my, my sort of favorite. And what's great about it is you see having both face-to-face is really great because you see Kirby's pencils and yeah it's a photocopy so it's not the clearest artwork but it's not digitized at all it's just you know it's you can see what's going on but maybe it's a little sort of darker because it's an old obviously photocopied on a machine built in like 1970 but then you see the inked work in Royer it does an amazing job of inking everything that's on the page he doesn't take any shortcuts every little squiggle every little detail in the machinery in the background everything that Kirby puts on the page Royer inks because it's important. And it's just amazing to see that level of detail and care in the inked artwork. So if you've never seen Kirby's pencils, I, I highly recommend at least flipping through this book in the store. It's it's such a unique way to read these books again. And these are obviously comics I've read dozens of times, but I'll never get tired of looking at them. So. Right. I got to imagine you picked it up in, in like a Barnes and Noble or something and you're just like, oh, this looks interesting. And then every turn was just like you walking closer to the cash register with it. Yeah, no, and it's okay, like, oh, no. suddenly you get to what? the second to last page and you're at, back at home wondering, <laughs> how did I buy this? Wait, yeah. How did this get here? Um, There's just a receipt in your pocket. You're like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. But so I enjoyed the, the heck out of that. And it's totally worth every penny. But yeah, those oversized artist editions, I, there's no way I could justify spending $150 on that. But this is a nice, more affordable option. Did Kirby ever self-ink very much? Or what was the story there? I, I don't really ever hear that much of him doing his own inks. Yeah, I don't think he ever did. At least not on a regular basis. I mean, maybe a fill-in here or there, but or maybe a cover occasionally. But obviously his volume was so high that there's no way he could have done that. Right, um, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. But oddly enough, the biggest surprise for me this week, the book I sort of enjoyed the most, was the recent Superman Annual by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason with artwork this time by Jorge Jimenez. And I had bought this when it came out probably a month or so ago and completely forgotten about it. <laughs> and when I was putting away my comics uh, over the past weekend, I came across it and was like, oh, I bought this and never read it. So I sat down and I read it and it's not a great comic. It's an annual. It's fine. But it's an homage to one of my favorite comic books of all time, mm-hmm. The Jungle Line by Alan Moore and Rick Veitch, which was a uh, Superman and Swamp Thing team up that came out back in like 1985. <laughs> what? I had Sounds when good. I was a kid. It, it's my. It's probably one of my favorite Superman stories. It's in my top five favorite Superman stories. But when I was a kid, I had a collection called the greatest team up stories ever told that DC put out. I think in probably 89 or 90. And I had a copy as a kid, and I read it, and it had the classic stories, you know, Flash of Two Worlds, Crisis on Earth One, the uh, hard-shoving heroes with the Green Arrow and Green Lantern, but 
this story, this Alan Moore story about Swamp Thing and Superman, I obsessed over this story. I read it dozens and dozens of times. The panels of it are burned into my brain. It's like one of my favorite comic books of all time. And it's just about Superman getting infected by a Kryptonian fungus that they find on a meteorite. And he starts hallucinating and he convinced he's going to die. So he takes a car and drives to Louisiana for some reason. He's drawn there. And then Swamp Thing finds him after the car crashes and then uses his elemental plant powers to heal Superman. What? I love that story. I love it so much. And How I can't even explain why. I, I had, God, I had to be like nine or 10 years old when I read it. Okay. Um, okay. But there's like, but there's the thing is, like, it's the first story that I ever read that Superman was weak. He's like hallucinating. He's losing his powers. Like he drives to Louisiana. Having to draw, having to drive a four door sedan. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because he, the true he sign can't of fly. weakness. Exactly. <laughs> um, and there's like one panel which I'll never forget. For some reason, it's always been burned into my brain where he he's growing a beard because he's like disheveled and he's sick. And then after he's healed. After Swamp Thing heals him, he shaves. But he shaves by taking the the rear view mirror of the car that he was driving that crashed and using his laser Please vision. Please tell me he bounces his laser vision yeah, off. And... Off the mirror in to shave. Yes. Oh, I just love that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so whenever, whenever everybody tries to be clever and say, like, how does Superman shave with a razor? I'm like, well, he doesn't. He uses his heat vision, of course. Yeah, why would he? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> this new Superman annual is basically an homage to that story because it is a Superman Swamp Thing team up in a way. Only mm-hmm. in this version, it's because this is the this Superman is the Superman from the pre fifty two, and no one's quite sure why he's here. Swamp Thing confronts him because his vibrational energy, Superman's, is causing him to draw more power from the sun than the previous Superman which caused a drought somehow. I, the science is iffy in that part, but... Sure, um, sure. The Swamp, swamp Thing's basically saying we Nature need to... Nature has to be a balance, blah, 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 <laughs> who cares? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's it's not the best story, but I love the homage to the original Jungle Line story so much. They padded out with a lot of fisticuffs in this version to make it an annual-sized story, but, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, it is the same sort of idea where Superman has to basically... Uh, Vulcan mind meld with Swamp Thing to, you know, sort of balance the imbalance that Superman has on this on this version of Earth. So I don't know if that's going to play a big deal in like the revelations about Superman down the road and why he's the previous version of Superman and all that. But um, it, I liked it enough to make me go dig into my long boxes to find my copy of DC Presents number eighty five to read the Jungle Line all all over again. <laughs> so there you go. That's oh, awesome, God. dude. That's awesome. I, I do really like that. Uh, it sounds like with the Tomasi Gleason run on Superman, uh, he's on Superman, but he could just as well as be on any other books. It just seems like he's roping in whatever random characters he really, really enjoys. Yeah, <laughs> from, I mean, from the, Superman to, to Frankenstein. You know, he even yeah, dragged, exactly. he dragged Frankenstein in when he was doing Batman and Robin. I was like, sure, okay. Yeah, I'm like maybe I'm just a sucker for like random team ups. Like I would just love that stuff. Like they, I remind her, like, look, all these characters are in the same world, in the same universe. They can always just run into each other. I am always, I've always liked. That, and the, so. uh, the best part is whenever they dredge up someone that like I, I, I always imagine like DC editorial must get like so mad when someone's like, yeah, so I, I, I kind of want to use Jonah Hex again or like Frankenstein 
or Booster Gold, and like DC editorial is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow look, it gets by. Look, look, we, we gave you three issues last year. What about you, Nick? What did you read? Um, it's been a relatively busy week for reading, but a pretty weird week for reading too. One thing I read was the first half of the JLA volume from '96 which is Grant Morrison and Howard Porter. Howard Porter's art looking very different from what I know of Howard Porter now, like Mm -hmm. Justice League 3000 and things like that. Like His art now looks kind of like even Keith Giffen Kirby-ish, kind of nouveau retro at the same time. And back then it just sort of was a very, a pretty decent house style. Although I think, you know, all hail the house style was much more prevalent back then. But uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. You've, you've got like this group of extraterrestrial superheroes called the Hyper Clan, which I mean, they've got clan in their name. That's never a good start. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're not from Earth, <laughs> like do a little research, go grab your lonely planet guide before you come here and at least figure out a couple things, a couple places to see, a couple words to not call your supergroup. Um, but they're the hyper clan. Uh, and of course, they promise Earth to turn it into the utopia that Earth's own heroes have been too lazy, too busy, or too unwilling to do in the first place. So, um, in a classic be careful what you wish for, they're like, hey, this is a desert and that's sand. And like, no one wants that, right? Sand is stupid, it's fucking dumb. <laughs> how how sure. would you like some plants and water and maybe a Walmart? And uh, so, of course, they build these things, and and then Superman, and maybe this is a cop-out, but, like, Superman has a press conference, and he's like, hey, everything has to have a balance, guys, and, like, while I'm not totally sure that what you just did is wrong, like, I'm just gonna come forward and say that, like, nature has to have a balance, even though that's really not my position, and uh, so that's my opt-out for doing any of that stuff, guys. And of course, these guys are evil. Clan is in their name, and so they <laughs> they destroy the Justice League's floating treehouse of justice. Yeah, and uh, at like that point, do. it's like, hey, uh, Superman with a mullet. Hey, um, weird blue <laughs> Superman. Uh, it's time to go fight these guys because they're a bag of dicks. And um, you know, it was good. It was good. You know, it was fun to jump into a universe that I really didn't know that much about. So like Blue Superman shows up out of nowhere and I'm like, mm-hmm. "Why is Blue Superman here? <laughs> Mullet Superman was in the last arc. I thought the whole point of Blue Superman was that he's around when Mullet Superman is dead, unless Mullet Superman is one of the multiple facets following the death of Superman. Paul, you're going to have to help me with that part. <laughs> well, with Superman, the Mullet Superman was Superman when he came back after dying. So when Superman died, four Superman came back, none of them are the real Superman, and then Mullet Superman turned out to be the real Superman back from the dead. Um, and then in 97... Okay, but then why was Blue Superman oh, right. still around? Okay, so he was never part of the original four. The four were you had Superboy, Cyborg Superman, John Steele, right. and or John Henry, John Irons, whatever, and um, and uh, the Eradicator. What about the blue one and the red one? That was later. That's after Superman's already back. So this is so oh, Superman. Jesus. Oh wow, that's Superman's like that ninety four. And then this is 97 yeah, when yeah, yeah. he gets electro powers. And I was kind of out of it at that point. I wasn't reading Superman, but I did read Justice League when it was coming out, what you're talking about. And yeah, the blue Superman was an issue, but Morrison does his best with it to make it sort of fit. So, yeah. 
So I, I read that. It, it was it was really interesting to, for the first time in a while, jump into, like, what appeared to be obviously, like, a huge, fully fleshed out, like, universe and me not knowing much of anything. But mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Rayner was Green, Green Lantern and was constantly being disrespected by everyone. Although at one point, I think he says something like, this is for me, a big manga-loving reader. And he's, like, in a big robot. And I'm like, all right, that's it. Never mind. Sympathy gone. <laughs> Uh, and of course you've got overcompensatory hook hand Aquaman. So yeah, that's another thing. Um, the other thing I want to really quickly talk about, of course, is Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Aliens. I read number one. I think when Americans do dread, the obvious first thing that you need to check off is the violence box. So that one usually gets <laughs> yeah. checked by most Americans. <laughs> and it's not hard to do. It's dread. I am the law. I have a gun that shoots fire, you know, flammable rounds. You're dead. It's going to get gory. So most Americans can check off that box, obviously. If you've seen our movies, we do that quite fine. Uh, the one thing we don't always nail is the comedy box. And I think with some of the more modern American takes on dread, it turns into the American American-fueled style of humor, of one-liners, and Arnold Schwarzenegger stick around, um, you know, uh, hang in there. I don't know if Arnold said that. Actually, I think that's that motivational <laughs> 80s cat poster. Arnold didn't say that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's very uh, hard you know. to not get Arnold Schwarzenegger confused with a hanging cat off of a clothesline, yeah. so t- I get all that. All the time. All the time. But this book actually does it well, and John Lehman, who of course did Chew, brings his own signature style of humor, so he doesn't have as much time as most of the Brits did to set up a groundwork, So, um, but it's not one-liners either, it's just sort of subtle jokes and critiques. In the first issue, Dredd is dealing with a group of cultists that worship a robot called Bishop Emoji, who of course is like a little <laughs> robot who has like a, a really basic like uh, keyboard emoji face on his head and he rides around on a scooter and he's followed by this gang of humans that all have a giant like emoji smiley face winky face whatever tattooed or scarred it's more like scarred on their forehead so um you know and that's the joke and that's it it's not pointed out it's not made they don't make a big deal out of it but uh it's funny and it's fun and i'm really enjoying that uh a lot um other than that, I'll just quick say All-Star Batman number five, glad to be done with Junior <laughs> Junior. Not really quite certain I get the ending, honestly. I think Superman's like, hey, uh, Two-Face, um, I'm going to, wh- whichever wolf you feed, that's what you'll become. And I'm like, wasn't that what it kind of was always? So anyway, that's what I read. Oh, gotcha. Um, I, I thought you were going to bring up Ninjak because I know you made a big deal about it oh, to me last sure. night. I mean, Ninjak, the silent that. issue. So there was a silent issue of Ninjak, except it wasn't fucking silent. There were two exchanges <laughs> of dialogue <laughs> at the end of the issue. Sorry. I didn't mean to poke the bear on that. I just couldn't believe you you were so upset by that. I mean, it was it was emphatic. It was like like less is more and like it was a real fitting punchline to close the issue, but then don't call it a silent issue. Like don't <laughs> don't make a liar out of me. I already told people about this, all right? <laughs> what are you reading tonight? I'm reading a silent issue. Oh, that's cool. I respect you a lot. I know. Thank you. Uh oh, now I have to go back and tell those people they can't respect me anymore. Yeah. All four <laughs> how of am us. I going how um, am I going to face my family? How am I going yeah, to Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry, I, did, I I just had to bring that up. Uh, for me, I read a handful of books on Monday night. I sat down and I've had this copy of Killing and Dying by Adrian Tomin um, that I've been like itching to read since I, I happened to get it for Christmas as a gift from someone. And I sat down and read it. And this is a, it's not a 
whole story in one thing. It's a series of six stories, I believe. And it's, it was really interesting. It's a lot of all over the place um, stories that are just incredibly sad. I walked, I finished the book <laughs> and I was just like, wow, I need like a cigarette and I need to go for a long car ride in the rain. Like something needs to happen so that I can just like something cinematic needs to happen to me now. Say, I've always wanted to like Adrian Tomine's stuff more than I do because his artwork is very, very lovely. And I kind of like that pacing that he uses, but like you said, mm-hmm. like every time I read one of his books, it's just too damn depressing. I just, for some reason, I just yeah, can't really connect to it emotionally in a weird way. Yeah, and this is drawn in quarterly, and their their stuff tends to, I think, flow that direction. I don't, I haven't yeah. read a lot of drawn in quarterly books, but I knew <laughs> that this is one that I really wanted to try. And uh, Tomine, that's how you say the last name. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this was really good. Like, I think if you want like a nice little anthology story that has some really depressing like tales <laughs> in it, this is a really uh-huh. good one. Uh, I know okay. it's very highly rated, and Tomine's art is is absolutely super high top notch um he he draws in a lot of very cartoon strip styles for some of the books um or some of the stories so like one is i think the first story in the book is just a series of strips about this guy who wants to be a horticulturalist (laughs) meaning like Mm -hmm. he makes art with plants and it, it just breaks your heart and every single story breaks your heart especially the story titled killing and dying like I, I like had to <laughs> set the book down after Jesus. finishing that story. It was it was absolutely amazing. Like because it, it's not about like actual death. It's about I I, I don't want to spoil it. It's it's about stand up comedy, be, Mike. It's got to be deep. It'll it'll wreck you. <laughs> it's it's a very good book. Uh, okay. I, so I read that. I read the God, God Complex number one that I was flipping out about last week. And boy, oh man, this this book was exactly what I wanted. It feels very very much like an image comic book with the twist and weirdness that Jeff Shaw and Donny Cates bring to a comic book. Isn't that you God read Country? That, God Country. Oh, I wrote it down wrong. God Country. Sorry, God <laughs> Complex is gotcha. another book by Michael Aving Oming, and I always get those. I have been, like, the last two weeks, I've been getting the name mixed up for some reason, but that's God Country, number one. I'm sorry. At least we're having, very good. you're not going to have to go explain the silent issue to people, Mike. I think <laughs> Yeah. The, well, yeah. I mean, if you went, and go, went to go pick up God Complex, you'd be very, very... Uh, disappointed because that book was not that great, at least for I'm, me. I'm I'm kind of worried, Mike. Like every week recently, I feel like you've been like it's a quote unquote normal batch of books, and then there's always that one at the end that's like a fanographics or like a first second book where like 90 percent of these, I imagine you when you're done and you close the cover, like the opening chords of like Gary Jules like Tears for Fears cover kick in <laughs> where it's like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I don't know what that song is, but I'm gonna guess what? that it's very sad. Yeah. Well, your tears? your <laughs> I don't I'm sure oh, I know no, it. Tears but for like, Fears isn't the Tears for Fears is the band. The song is um oh my goodness, what is a song? We will find out later and bring it back to you <laughs> after the break. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. I did read IVX number two because I hate my body and my mind. Uh, this uh, <laughs> that's a great pull quote. That's a, IVX oh my god it's is perfect. such a strange. I the, everyone's fighting and I don't really understand why. And even in the comic. Half the X-Men and the Inhumans are like, why are we fighting? And everyone's like, because we have to. And it's like, but why? Because weren't we supposed to have a talk? And they're like, well, this is how we talk. And then Uncanny <laughs> X-Men was about how the psychics of the X-Men take over the body of Karnak, which is not, not going to work out great for anyone. Like, you're, you're, so many things, I'm just like, you all should know this is a bad idea. And I got to imagine there's one person at Marvel that is fighting for this story, and it's not any of the creators. So, 
I'm really baffled. And this is Charles Soule <laughs> and Jeff Lemire on IVX. And then I read Uncanny X-Men, which is Colin Bunn, has, who has been doing a weird Uncanny X-Men story since the beginning. And his round off at the end, like the story implications about what's going to happen in Uncanny X-Men was really cool. But the story itself, not that great. I mean, in the sense <laughs> that you, how can you not, all the characters in this book, how do you not realize this is the wrong thing to do? And I realized that there's the writer has a lot to say with how that works but it felt so out of character for these these psychics to be messing with karnak so if you're reading these books and if you really like what's going on i'd really like to have a discussion with you so please contact (laughs) us in one of the many ways we you know have out there um otherwise i did read the punisher number seven uh becky clunan this is steve dylan's last issue that he did on the punisher and i know that this one came out a while ago i just hadn't brought (laughs) myself to actually read it um (laughs) And the issue was good. Uh, I, I think I'm still going to continue reading this Punisher story because I like the direction that Becky Cloonan is taking it. But I'm really, really torn about Steve Dillon not on the book anymore. And it's really sad that he passed <laughs> away. And, like, he passed away a week before the art, the art was collected for this issue, at least according oh. to the editor of the book. So, like, I, the, the story was great, and the comic has been great since the beginning, I think. I'm, like After reading all seven, I kind of am seeing like, where the story's going, and I feel really good about it. But it's really sad to know that Steve Dillon is not going to be on this book because uh, he was one of the best. Like No one else can really do Punisher like him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, uh, the fill-in um, artist that they had for some of the pages where uh, Dillon's art wasn't finished, uh, Matt Horak, he did a very good job of... T- holding on to Steve Dillon's style to the point where I couldn't tell which pages were Horak's and which were Dillon's. And I think Ooh. that's that's a really good <laughs> sign because I think like Horak yeah. has his own style, but he tried to get as close to Dillon's style as possible. So I have to credit him on that. The last thing I did read was Jonesy number nine. <laughs> Jonesy number nine is is one of the best stories in this series so far about Jonesy moving to the big city. It's not New York City, but it's called Shepherd City. And she hates the subway and she hates how big the city is and how confusing it is and how mean the people are. And I was like, this is the, this is perfect. This is perfect for the handful of people that I know in New York City, such as my girlfriend or Tia, who's on the show, uh, (laughs) who hate New York City. And Jonesy totally just grasps what's wrong about it in this one issue. And they still manage to keep their goofy, happy-go-lucky Jonesy feel about it. But this issue is a, like a perfect definition as to why, or perfect example as to why I read this book. It, it manages to mesh up all of the goofiness that is Jonesy and put, you in, put her in situations where there are a lot of really interesting struggles going on, but it's not so depressing like killing and dying, where at the end of the book I have to like walk away. I kind of go, oh man, I want more. This is really fun, and I want to find out this character's journey. So I, I can't sell Jonesy enough. This is a great happy-go-lucky, <laughs> all-ages comic. I, I at this point I think I'm gonna just buy trades of this and hand it out to people and say shut up read this comic <laughs> because it's that great. I mean Sam Humphreys and Caitlin Rose Boyle do the, do a fantastic job of meshing their writing and art together, and I, I can't say any more than that about this book. <laughs> so I don't I've, I don't know if you guys have taken my harping and yelling about this comic and to heart and tried this book at all. Not but yet. It's Not it's yet. definitely something. Okay. Well, if there's a boom sale one of these times, I'm just going to gift copies to you guys on Comixology. <laughs> okay, perfect. That was like two weeks ago. Get on my level. You missed I missed it. it. <laughs> I missed it. Anyways, speaking of comic books that we're excited for, that we want to buy, comic books are coming out on January 18. What are you two excited for? Nick, let's start with you. 
Okay, well, I thought Paul was going to pick the Commodity Challenge, but he didn't pick the Commodity Challenge, but we're going to talk about the Commodity Challenge later, <laughs> and I've already mentioned it three times up to this point, yes. so it doesn't really need my help. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the Black Hammer Annual. Uh, it's interesting because we always make fun of annuals for being like, do you have to read this? Well, you probably don't have to read this because most people aren't going to read this. And so is it really going to play into any actual ongoing stuff? No, not really. Uh, but it'll tell this backstory about this character. Y- y- don't try to spin me, sir. I see the price tag on it. It's $6. <laughs> yeah. It's with fill-in artists. The main writer only writes half of it, and he gets his little minion to do the rest. I see through your ruse. That being said, <laughs> I'm actually thinking sure with this where you with were going the, with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with this, with this one with this black hammer annual, I actually think the reverse is true. I'm worried that they put the the label of annual on it because it is a bigger issue, and it does tell a bunch of um, backstories about the characters. But it actually sounds like it might be necessary. I've been trying to get the word out with people who read this book because obviously I read previews because I read by candlelight and I, you know, (laughs) power up my house with a wind up generator and my TV's black and white. But um, I, it sounds like this one's going to be really, really uh, essential or at least very interesting. And I won't say much more about it other than it looks like if you want to know who was on this book, it more or less looks like Jeff Lemire made a call to all of the people that owe him favors and got them to do this book. <laughs> uh, so there's Matt Kent. Uh, there's Ray Fox. Uh, Dave Stewart uh, is on it. Um, Emmy Lennox is on it. Oh, wow. um, Mike Allred is on it. Uh, Dustin Nguyen is on it. Basically, go pick anyone that Jeff Lemire has collaborated with, and they're on this book. Uh, so it's, yeah, Jeff Lemire brought out his Rolodex in, in, in yeah, went to town, let me tell you. So that's awesome. I mean, that's very that's excited quite, for that. That's quite a number of names. I'm actually surprised that Matt Kent is doing art. I mean, I know that Lemire's doing art on other books and stuff like that, but it's kind of interesting to see Kent come back to do a book that he's not writing and doing art for it. That's that's really awesome. Yeah, I'm 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 psyched. What about you, hmm. Paul? Well, um, let's see. I have to confess right up front that I'm already an issue or so behind on this series, but I'm excited for Black Widow number ten. Uh, I still haven't read number nine, but issue number eight ended. And spoiler for a comic that's two months old at this point, ended with a picture of the moon. And they seem to suggest that there was someone watching from the moon, which in my mind means we might see Uwatu the Watcher showing up in Black Widow. And if you're going to name a Marvel character that I least expected to have show up in Black Widow, it was Uwatu the Watcher. So maybe he showed up in issue nine. Uh, But regardless, as the solicitation for issue 10 suggests that he's going to maybe show up at some point and watch what's going on. Uh, we also have the reunion, finally, of Natasha and Bucky Barnes, which, again, I think anybody who reads Black Widow or reads Marvel kind of admits is most interesting relationship maybe in comics right now. I've always liked that team up or their relationship. It's complicated that they have uh, with each other. But again, Chris Somni on art, I, I'm kind of surprised that Black Widow, and I hate to say this, I'm kind of surprised that it's lasted this long. I kind of thought this would be like sort of a mini series, but... I'm glad they're going with it, and uh, if we can get some more weird Marvel characters show up, uh, like Uatu the Watcher, I'm all for it. So, yeah, that's the fact that Uatu showing up in this book is kind of blowing my <laughs> mind. 
right, I, right. I don't know how it's going to fit in. And I read issue number nine. So I, oh, okay. we'll see. All right. That's very exciting. I, I, I'm a sucker for weird Marvel stuff like that. Even though I don't read Marvel regularly, totally. I've always kind of loved Ego the Living Planet and, you know, the uh, the Eternals and stuff like that. So, Bawatu is one of the weirder characters. Oh, yeah. He's, he has a house on the moon. Like, that's the coolest thing ever. And he just, he's a voyeur and he has a house on the moon. I know, right? What a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, where else, where else are you going to watch the Earth from? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Someone needs to tell him. I mean, doesn't... Doesn't the U.S. government technically own the moon? This is some point where everyone's going to be like, Nick, you're so fucking stupid. <laughs> I, I feel like there's, that, a, there's a big debate about that. Didn't we, like, lay, like, didn't didn't the U.S., like, lay claim to, like, the moon or at least, like, uh, the space? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, like, military, I don't know. I thought Beats I read me. that somewhere. It might have yeah. it, it, it been something that came to me in a dream. Um, if any of our <laughs> listeners want to clear up uh, who owns the moon uh please do yes please let us know uh well for me this week what i'm really excited for is slam number three this is a book from boom uh this is pamela ribbon on writing and veronica fish on art and if you may have seen veronica fish on archie for a little while this book is all about roller derby and i am loving the crap out of it oh my goodness the fir- it's very much about like the, the these two women i should say the story is about two women who end up wanting to go into roller derby they get drafted to two separate teams but they're still really good friends and it's about them struggling to become better roller derby people while also building their lives and talking about the families that you get when you join a team like mm-hmm. in, in roller derby you know, and the relationships you form and it's from beginning to end i this is one of those books that you pick up and then you finish and you go whoa 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 that was 22 pages yeah. And, and and I love it. It's 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 beautiful. Like Veronica Fish's art is top notch. Mm-hmm. And if you like roller derby, this is totally a book for you. Um, I have a feeling that this is going to collect really really well into trade. So if you're the type of person that wants to wait on that, I would say that's not a bad idea. But this book could use probably all the love it can get because it's boom book and it's about a very 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 niche topic. Um, it, it's fantastic. It's well written. It's well thought out. Everything about this book is really great. Um, so if you have, I'm really excited just cause number two ended on a really fun, fun ending people getting beat up and bruised and, and there's a rivalry growing. So we're going to see what number three brings. I'm, I'm really excited for this book. Yeah. I remember sort of seeing the, uh, preview images for this and telling myself to be sure to buy a copy and guess what? I never actually did. So uh, thanks for reminding me, Mike, I'll have to go back and grab oh, the no. first two issues. So yeah, I, it looked awesome. So definitely want to check it out. It's really cool. I mean, I, if, if you know nothing about roller derby, this is a fun way to kind of get introduced to it. They do a good <laughs> job of explaining kind of how the game works. And um, I, it's in my head, I'm like, I need to find roller derby here in New York somewhere <laughs> so I can actually watch some people kick the shit out of each other on a rink. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the handful of times I've actually been to a roller derby game, it was awesome. So I love this book. This is such a cool little book. And I'm glad that someone decided, let's make a comic book about roller <laughs> derby because we need more comics like this. <laughs> Thus, thus begins Mike's not-so-slow descent into an obsession with underground blood sports. <laughs> First, it's like roller derby, but like in five weeks, you just see Mike in like some back alley, and he's like, choke him out, choke him out. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's escalating. All right. <laughs> yeah. Got dark. But. This bare-knuckle brawling. Not you, Mike. I mean, you, you're betting on it. You're not participating. Yeah, yeah. You're smart enough to not, <clears throat> to not do that. But Yeah, yeah. Roller derby is the gateway drug to, you know, all other <laughs> underground 
So I've been told. Underground fight volleyball. That's my next one. (laughs) Look, okay, this information was in the same book with the whole moon thing, all right? It's not my fault that... (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. Look, some of us just like to go look at the Wikipedia pages where they're like, some of this information has been unsubstantiated, please. (laughs) We need, you know, this article needs to be updated. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. This all makes sense to me. I will update it with the information I got from a dream. McDonald's (laughs) was founded by the Illuminati. You are correct. For our episode this week, we actually wanted to try to cover things that we're excited for in 2017, which is kind of a weird topic because we only know so much. However, there have been announcements and different things such as the Image Expo that have given us you know, some sight into the future and potential hope for things that are eventually going to be coming out. So I know that we each have our own lists, and surprisingly, they're all very different things that we're excited about, or at least we know that are coming out that we want to touch on. So... I can start with the one big thing that we know that's happening this year, which is Marvel's Secret Empire, which mm-hmm. is apparently a giant event. And it just like, you know, falling out of one event into another, Marvel is moving from IVX, or I should say, from Civil War II to IVX to eventually Secret Empire, which is supposedly supposed to be about Captain America. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, let me just add so many question marks to this. We have an image I'll post it in the show notes by John Cassidy, and it looks kind of over-computerized, if that makes any sense, but that's happening I have not a lot of interest in this. I don't know if either of you are interested in a Captain America event or another crossover event. I feel like I already know the answer is no. <laughs> so uh, I will I will just move on unless either of you have comments on this. <laughs> uh, one or two quick things. I just want to point out that despite the last 30 seconds that you heard from Mike Rappin, if you've been listening to the show for about the past month maybe the past year doesn't really matter you know that mike rappin is going to buy this no uh, so it doesn't really yeah yeah yeah. and no. you've heard that line from mike as well i did not mike i did not probably, buy civil war 2 here we go so here i didn't uh, buy civil war 2 so uh, nope. that that nope. you you did buy civil war i didn't you buy civil war 2 no i didn't buy civil war 2 i <laughs> i did not i borrowed copies to read but i did not purchase them i did not now it sounds like the room now this sounds like the room (laughs) Uh, it is the room i did not other other things other other things that i know are that are coming up from marvel are the x-men gold books and i think there's a couple of other x-men color books like of various colors of the rainbow i'm probably (laughs) gonna buy those Uh, let's just be honest here i will probably buy those so So i i i had heard that those (laughs) i had heard that the two big ones the x-men gold and x-men blue are going to be uh bi-monthly books bi-monthly do you know okay. that's true twice a month twice a month twice a month yeah let me help you out with that mike i know what that means because dc's been giving <laughs> yeah. me the business when it yeah. comes to this yeah concept. i know <laughs> i know um why blue and gold does someone want to explain that because that worked in the because that's what it was in the 90s and we're just yeah. in a nostalgia cycle so the yeah. jim why, lee why did, and why did they pick blue and gold back then what's that my, i couldn't tell you yeah my understanding was that because you know those were the predominant colors of the original team's costumes oh, the original or, uniforms yeah. Yeah. yes yep. yeah 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 that sounds that's i i i can roll with that, that i know that, that i know that it's coming i'm probably going to buy it for a certain amount of time until i can't afford it or deal with it anymore um i mean i've been on flash since it started and on batman and i've been okay but it's still like it's going to be the four dollar price point 
that's and i think that's going to be all the difference right 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 so i don't know that's that's one thing i know and there are other things that i'm actually excited about but i will toss to <laughs> either of you whoever wants to jump in now before i start crying mm. so someone else please <laughs> also that gary jules song we were trying to come up with earlier uh was mad world and oh right. mad world. Co- the, that makes the sense. cover of of tears for fears in in a um, now i think going to become a tradition on the show where we just correct ourselves after the break so <laughs> hey, i mean other people like you get like last week we talked about this and we want to make a correction no 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 no. we are this good we we will correct within the same With, yes, show that's exactly. true we will do that <laughs> paul what are, what are you excited for at least i guess what's uh, coming up in 2016 or 2017 i'm sorry that is exciting for you well 2017 of course marks the 100th anniversary of jack kirby's birth uh, he was born in 1917 um so i know dc has a for, formally announced something as a sort of tribute or homage to kirby i haven't heard anything from marvel yet which is uh not surprising i don't know i i feel like dc in recent years has been playing up the legacy of jack kirby more than marvel has <laughs> oh no we really love jack kirby <laughs> but the, mm-hmm. what dc's doing is actually really really interesting they're doing something called the commandy challenge and commandy was a series that kirby did in the early 70s for dc it's basically a post-apocalyptic world where Animals have evolved beyond humans, and humans are enslaved, basically. And Commandy's the last boy on Earth. Um, it's a very strange series. It's really, it's of all the DC books that Kirby did, it's one that suffers the most from him, his wild imagination. You know what I mean? There's a ton of stuff yeah. thrown at the wall, and not all of it sticks. And in that sort of... Oh, it's true. Oh, my God. In that sort of same vein, the Commandy Challenge is going to uh, maybe replicate that by its structures. (laughs) Yeah. It's a 12-issue series, but all of the issues are written is like a round robin kind of thing. Like the first team wrote the issue, then handed it off to the second team. They're like, all right, do something with this. And the second team's like, all right, here's... It's like the... It's a uh, improvisation. It's the yes and telephone, you know, telephone kind of game yeah, sure. that yeah, they're yeah, doing yeah. with a number of different creative teams. And I know Nick, you have the list of some of the creators here uh, in our show notes. It's a pretty impressive lineup. Yeah, I didn't quite list some of the pairings, but I mean, you've got names like Gail Simone, Kevin Eastman, uh, Ryan Sook, uh, Dan Jurgens, Tom King. Uh, Neil Adams, if you like him, I don't. Uh, I think Keith Giffen is in here. Oh, Dan yeah, Didio's yeah. in here. Please, dear God, why? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good group of people. They didn't pull like an insane amount of like a list, but I imagine a lot of people are like, I don't want this on top of my normal workload to be handed some story by some other people and be like, I've got to, you know. <laughs> make this make sense are you kidding me that's so bizarre I think I, there is a sort of prestige to it the fact that it is being tied in with the 100th anniversary of of kirby so i think there is some prestige so i think this the creators involved certainly eastman and didio and giffen like they've gotten a ton of mileage out of their love for kirby so i think they're going to be on point for that so and uh ryan sook did the commandy uh, mini series that they did when DC did that Wednesday comic series. If anybody remembers that from a few years ago, um, the weekly series that they did, and there was a commandy story in it, and Ryan Sook did the artwork, and it was amazing. So I'm very excited to see different takes on this uh, this material. That's hey, good. All right, things are looking up <laughs> for 2017. That's great. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> what about you, Nick? What, what have you got so far? I mean, I, we've got a huge list here, so let's just let's just fly through them. So, XO Man of War is being rebooted or revamped or whatever term you want to call it for. It existed before, and it's coming back. And XO was never something. Uh, this is for Valiant that I was that crazy about because, in Same a lot here. of ways, he's sort of like Thor. He's kind of out of touch with how things work. But he also has a penchant for um, destroying things with blunt and sharp objects alike, and generally doesn't quite grasp human culture, and except for a real penchant for being shirtless all the time. Um, <laughs> sure. So he's like Thor, but then he also is like Iron Man because he built a suit out of scraps uh, in a cave. Um, <laughs> Jeff Bridges <laughs> delivered that line better than I did. Yeah. And to be fair, he didn't. He didn't build the armor. I mean, that's another strike against Exo. He didn't build it. And he just found it. Right. Lazy. Lazy. Um, lazy Iron Man. Although lazy Iron. Yeah, lazy hulking Iron Man. Um, <laughs> but I've always found the armor kind of interesting because, and I think I've explained this on the podcast before. The armor gives you a bunch of powers. It heals you laser shooty pointy fingers amongst other things flight but whenever you get hurt the armor slowly replaces your body when it when it heals you it replaces you with part organic machine and so the more you get healed by the armor the more the armor effectively replaces you and this of course came to a head in the armor hunters event where we discovered that in the past there have been owners of the exo armor that have been completely taken over by the armor, and then the armor just goes on, you know, uh, one hell of a road trip and just starts destroying things because <laughs> it becomes fully autonomous and just starts destroying worlds. So uh, that's so the term of the armor hunter. Does this thing actually <laughs> want to destroy the world then, or, or what? You know. We have never really gotten a one-on-one chat with the sentient, you know, nature of the armor, but it does seem that when it takes over, it goes on one hell of a bender regardless. Sure, sure. So, uh, it just fucking wrecks shit up, so uh, that's why that's why the armor hunters wanted to kill Exo. Uh, so, the armor is kind of interesting, um, but, but they're rebooting going this, to... Yeah. They are rebooting it. Um, the big reason I'm interested is because they do have Matt Kent writing it, uh, which is exciting. Uh, I think he might do for XO what um, Jeff Lemire did for Bloodshot uh, Reborn and sort of make it more of a multi-dimensional book. Um, there are going to be rotating artists. We've got Clayton Crane um, from like Rye fame, Giorello, Thomas Giorello. He was recently doing some Bloodshot. He's at some new blood. Ryan Bodenheim, Miko Suwayan, Doug Brathwaite. So a lot of Valiant regulars. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is that Warren Simmons uh, came out uh, and was talking about it, and uh, he had a very interesting quote about EXO. He said, uh, uh, he's their editor-in-chief, EXO Man of War will serve as a template of sorts for our other books with a, with a vastly extended timeline and direction mapped out. Interesting. That's then broken down into tight three-issue arcs. Ooh. Um, yeah, it, definitely if you want to talk about broad trends in comics over the last six months and c- into the coming year, there's been a super big emphasis on short arcs. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you talk about, like, Marvel books, talk about DC books, both of them have been making a real push for small arcs. Yeah, like four-issue four arcs, usually. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which is weird that Valiant's coming forward and saying, like, guys, we're going to do three-issue arcs, because for the most part, most of their arcs are, like, 
solid consistently week in week out four issues so i don't really understand why they're like guys we have to reel it in like you guys are already <laughs> reeling it in yeah like yeah. you're fine you're not doing justice league um unlimited or whatever's nine issue space epic right Fuck that thing um so i i think they put the right guy on this book to um gain more interest and and i certainly will be giving it a try they got kenneth rockefort doing uh covers which is good god kenneth rockefort gorgeous gorgeous art uh and of course they're going to be coming out with a brushed like steel variant so it's the 90s all over again and i'm kind of laughing and terrified at the same time yeah that's uh, yeah how many books is matt kit writing over at valiant i think it's like nine 15, 70 73 <laughs> good that's a nice solid number nice solid number my only issue is like that the full like the first big hook for this new reboot is like it's exo man of war and he's without the armor you know he doesn't want to wear the armor anymore and he doesn't want to do it so in a lot of ways it feels like the like so-and-so has been stripped of their powers for this reboot mm -hmm. <laughs> but you and i both know they'll get them back in like six issues okay right like right um but it's valiant. They'll they'll do something creative. He's probably still going to stab people and be shirtless. So if if <laughs> sex and violence is your jam, and uh, aliens and and Visigoths are are your thing, you're going to be fine. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I jumping over to another publisher, if I may. I know that Image has two big things coming out this year. Supposedly, we're getting more Rat Queens. Despite the controversy around that entire series, we're getting more Rat Queens. Uh, Curtis YB, I know, is coming out. I don't know who the artist is. I know that that's listed somewhere online. But all I saw was new Rat Queens, and I wrote it down <laughs> and forgot to get the information. But that's coming. And on a more positive... Some real solid leg work there, Rapper. <laughs> yeah, I know. Doing real, real work. <laughs> uh, I know that the end of Invincible is potentially coming this year. There are, mm. I think, 12 issues left. So if we hmm. get one a month, if Ryan Otley just decides to push through, and I'm sure they're going to bring back Corey Walker and do all sorts of special stuff to, e to end the series, um, <laughs> we may actually get the end of Invincible, which is exciting, sad, but also good at the same time. I think bringing <laughs> this series to an end is kind of a... It's a it's proof that, that Robert Kirkman isn't just trying to jam comic books up with his long ongoing storybooks and is willing to say you know what we can bring this book to an end and maybe this character will come back in another series or he'll show up he'll guest appearance in other books that kirkman's probably going to write but invincible is going to be over and i'm i'm torn i'm conflicted about all of it but i'm actually very satisfied to know that that's happening so hopefully that will be happening in 2017 barring any delays or potential breaks in the series but it looks like we're getting to the end very very soon um <laughs> i also know that there's a book called heartless that was supposed to come out last year from warren ellis and tula lote and that never came out i know from reading warren ellis's uh newsletter that he's just like delays delays our our schedules just suck so it's been hard to write this book it's it's something that he's working on, but it's just taking a lot of time. But I'm willing to wait because it's Warren Ellis and Tula Lote, <laughs> and uh, come on, people! If you the, these two are these two are fantastic creators, they work really, really well together. Um, and the book that they worked on before is not coming to mind, but uh, <laughs> I'm willing to wait this out. I just hope it comes out this year. 
I don't know if either of you were looking forward to that, but I'm obsessed. <laughs> well, speaking of creators that we're obsessed with, Mike, oh, I'm yes. very, very excited that Tom Scioli is returning to the world of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe for a one-shot Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, the movie adaptation this March from IDW. <laughs> so um, chances are you've heard what about... What was the text that I sent you, Paul? It's like, this is a comic book, a real comic book, yep. depicting a fictional movie based on a real crossover based on toys. Yes, based on, exactly. So... so if you've heard it. the show before, chances are you know that we love Transformers versus G.I. Joes. And uh, basically what Scioli did is said, well, what if they turned this comic that I wrote into a movie and then I got to do the adaptation, the comic book adaptation of that fictional movie? This is what it would be. Scioli's <laughs> C- <laughs> been posting uh, sort of what progress. What is the editorial board like at IDW? <laughs> is it like a bunch of those inflatable people that like people put in their cars when they want to be in the carpool lane? Like, what? Wh- wh- like. What well, is it? <laughs> maybe they realized that this Transformers is G.I. Joe is the greatest comic book ever published. So they're like, you know what? We got to go back to the go back to the well for that. Sioli has been publishing. Yeah, Sioli's been posting like process pictures on his Instagram and his Twitter of this, and it looks it looks awesome. So uh, I'll take another one shot if this is the way I can get more of this stuff. Um, and I'm right there this, with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. And uh, speaking of books that are almost too weird to be real, um, Fantagraphics is going to be doing a six-issue superhero series called All Time Comics, and I think that starts in March. And what it is, it sounds so weird, because originally they said, so Fantagraphics is going to do a superhero universe, and then they said, well, it's not really a universe, it's just a six-issue miniseries. So... But what they're doing is they're getting together a group of different creators to do, a, I think it's like one shots or maybe two issue little things about characters that they've created. And, you know, Fantagraphics is sort of known for being the more, you know, quote unquote art comics or alternative comics. But it's like that take on superheroes, snooty. you know, snooty, on, sure, whatever. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but so what they're going to do is they're going to pair up contemporary cartoonists and writers like Ben Mara, who did uh, One Man War on Terror, that book, and Noah Van Skyver, okay. and um, teaming them up with sort of legendary comic creators like Al Milgram, who worked for Marvel in the 70s and 80s. And this book will actually feature the last artwork by Herb Trimpey, who passed away a few years ago. So you all know Herb Trimpey, of course. He's the first guy to draw Wolverine because he, he worked on um, uh, Incredible Hulk back in the 70s. So this uh, is the weirdest okay, thing I've ever heard name. of. Yeah. Ah, come on. You guys got to do your history. Um, Herb Trimpey. I know. <laughs> this book so Herb sounds Trimpey's like it's gonna be, suck. We get It's it. going to be very <laughs> sad. <laughs> this book sounds like it's got Nova and Skyrim on it. Like, uh, uh, yeah. are we, oh, like t- okay, I read that, that, that Killing and Dying. Like, no offense, Skyver is like the next level of like sad, depressing comics, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. So, uh, what's going to even happen? I don't even. That's. Ooh. I'm going to have to. Honestly, buy this. I think it's very yeah. strange. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think most fanographic books need to have like a part of the book just carved out in the back, and it's just got a little uh, CD that just has like "I'm walking on sunshine" on it. And so <laughs> when when you're done with whatever the book is, you just pop that in your CD player. I thought I know Nick. It's 1994. Get with it. I thought that you um, would just get like a you know a extra thick hardcover edition, and in the back there's just a little flask of whiskey for you to drink. <laughs> it's just a little bag of antidepressants. Yeah, yeah. It's like Xanax. God. Yeah. Boy, that that sounds really cool, though. This to see Fantagraphics trying something like that—that that I think is a bit out of their wheelhouse, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. 
And definitely, if you look at some of the artwork, it is a little tongue-in-cheek and satirical. You know, you have Ben Mara doing a sort of hyper-masculine, violent image, like 90s image-style artwork against mm-hmm. Herb Trimpey's more traditional superheroes look. So it, it, I'm, it's such like a weird grab bag that even if, it, again, if it's just stuff thrown at the wall, whatever sticks is probably going to be great. So Totally. I know that... Uh... <laughs> I've got more. I've got more. Just like books that didn't come out in 2016 listed. <laughs> um, the other one, the other one being uh, Parisian White that was supposed to be by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Bill Sinkowitz. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that that actually came out last year, and so hopefully we'll see that this year. I know that in the I follow all these comic creators newsletters because I'm a nerd, but I know that in the Kelly Sue DeConnick Matt Fraction newsletter that comes out, that they have mentioned that it is in progress where when it comes out and who publishes it i think is up in the air i'm guessing it's going to be image but we'll see and bill sinkowitz's art is beautiful so that's just Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. thing that to potentially look forward to and fingers crossed it comes out this year (laughs) one that i am very eager to hear more information about is this fabled snyder capullo uh, Batman crossover event yeah. of this summer. Oh, yeah. We yeah. don't know much at this point, but like they're like, you know, the gang's getting back together, and I'm like, oh, you know it, and they're like, calm down, <laughs> Jesus Jesus, Nick. It's like, be excited, but don't be a fucking tool. See, but they're telling you, hey, the gang's getting it's back together hard. for an it's event. too hard, man. For an event. Why would yeah. I not be... Yeah, and that's what makes it so interesting. For me, at least, that's... that's um. Like, what do we know at this point? Uh, I don't know. I I read an interview with Snyder. I've got a couple poll quotes here because uh, overly prepared is my thing. See, I'm Uh, underly prepared, so thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Snyder said, quote, he wants to, uh, quote, not have it feel like the kind of event that we've seen before, which, I mean, whatever, but it's Snyder. I'll I'll roll with this. Sure. Uh, I love DC events. They're bonkers and wonderful, but generally (laughs) they refer back to continuity or they are about where the line is at that moment in time. Uh, and he said later, quote, I don't want it to be grim. I don't want it to be superheroes arguing over something. Superheroes won't be fighting superheroes. I want it to be celebratory and huge and crazy. I'm going for out-of-control dinosaurs and lasers. It should be fun. What? Okay. Hold on. Uh, yeah, I that's did actually like the very big ge- dig at, um, at yeah. Marvel. Yes. Yeah, even though DC's current big event right now, of course, is Suicide Squad versus Justice League. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously, they're getting at Marvel's Marvel's idea of events is you know some you know kid mashing you know action figures together until they've you know fought enough. So. No, 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 no. Uh, Marvel's version of a crossover event is well, let's get thirty superheroes together that we all know and love, and have them yell at each other for twenty pages, yeah. and then we'll fight in yeah. the middle for two issues, and then we'll talk some more for the rest of it. I mean, <laughs> when these guys got along, they don't get along anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, the one thing that really just 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 makes me makes my bones itch is that they'll put characters in a room together and then they do that thing that bad television does where for no reason a character will speak up in the middle of a conversation between two or three other people that have like prominent strong arguments. So like for instance, and I did read pieces of Civil War 2. I did not buy it. I read pieces of it. There was an <laughs> argument between back. there was a, there was an argument between Captain Marvel and Iron Man and we I don't want to talk about the character assassination of Miss Marvel because that's a whole other different discussion, but at some point Miss Marvel like Kamala Khan just like interjects one line and they're like shut up you don't even know what what you're talking about she's like I do know what I'm talking about and it just felt so out of place and that's pretty much how (laughs) that entire event went it was just like random characters interjecting you don't understand my side of the story and they're like shut up the big kids are talking 
Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's Bendis, and he likes to he likes to write a lot, and he likes to show how much he likes to write. So <laughs> it's fine, but. Oh boy, yeah, it's it's definitely just arguing, a little bit of fighting, someone gets hurt, and then people argue some more, and then that's the end of the issue, or end of the art, or the, the story event, so <laughs> please, please tell me that Snyder's going to fix that and do something that's just cool. <laughs> I, I, I have faith in this. I think it's really interesting that they're bringing Capullo back for an event. I do worry about what that means for the future. Other than that, I think he did tweet like a month or two ago that he did sign another contract with DC. <laughs> um but I, I, I have faith that Snyder will do something to elevate it above um, what your average summer event is. Sure. I do wonder, and I do find it kind of interesting, that it does seem like the event, uh, even though they've hinted at it being broader, it does seem like this the summer event will be very Batman-oriented. And I do wonder what that means, because obviously when you try to do a summer event, usually you're trying to you know, hit on everybody more or less yeah. and grab the Green Lantern part and the Superman part. So, uh, in a wonderful, strange we'll world, I would see like Snyder and Capullo just jumping into all of the Batman books and doing two issues in each one. Just mm. saying, like, oh, I, good God. like yeah. that would be wild, but it would just like tell a cohesive story somehow. I don't know. Yeah. That would be, that would be, be cool. pretty fun. Yeah. Just to see them take so, on like. Yeah all of them because i read night of the monster man i was like that was really cool but the difference between art and some of the issues i was like yeah really yeah. thrown out i like threw up in my mouth a little bit because i was like oh <laughs> this is really cool when riley rossmo drew it and then you cut over to nightwing or detective and you're just like that's yeah. not how anyone looks that's not how none of the <laughs> well, you know, looks and and that's the flip side of the coin as well because in the back of your mind you're like geez it would be nice if there was more of a coherent art style between these and then the little devil on your shoulder shows up and he's like are you talking about a house style would you like a house style mike rapping <laughs> mm-hmm. no no dc knows how to do a house style no, we think, can fix this problem i think the actual fix for that is to just do an event book that is just a right. writer and an artist that yes. way you're getting a consistent story and mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's what has worked so well for Marvel in their events, if I have to defend Marvel events, is that usually when they do these huge events, they have a book that has the consistent everything. And all the other stories are just tie-ins. And I know we hate tie-ins and yada, yada, yada. But like what mm-hmm. worked really well for um, the Jeff Johns uh, big event that you made me buy, Nick, that I can't think of off the top of my head, Forever, like, Forever Evil. Evil, was that like <laughs> yeah. it was just a story. It was straight from beginning to end, same artist, same writer, everything. And it worked really yeah. well. And like I didn't feel like anything was jarring. All the characters looked consistent. All the enemies looked consistent. Like The world looked consistent. Whereas with the, the Night of the Monster Men, I was just like... These monsters looked very different from issue to issue. They had like the same body shape, but like Riley Rossimo's right. monsters are not comparable to anyone else's, as oh, far yeah. as I'm concerned. <laughs> so good. And his his yeah. monsters were great. And that's why I was like, fuck yeah, when I read that Batman issue. And then we cut over to I think Nightwing was the next one. I was like, what is happening? Mm. <laughs> what what yeah. these monsters don't look scary. They just look like another superhero that just happens to be bigger. So <laughs> that I don't know. That's my that's my little soapbox about about that because i actually read all of it guys i did it now i can (laughs) catch up (laughs) uh, paul you didn't even you didn't like that did you forever evil that wasn't totally your no i did like i did like forever evil i did like forever evil okay it must be someone else then i mean lex luther nearly threw a young ted cord out of a helicopter Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) come on exciting stuff guys (laughs) exciting stuff anything else Um, any other cool things that are i know that the new superman (laughs) costume is coming out in yeah. Superman number uh, twenty, that's happening. I 
I unsurprisingly, I have some some thoughts about that new Superman costume, Mike. Oh, please, and, uh, please tell. All I saw was a comicbook.com article. So I what what is this suit again? Is I this liked the one with like the underwear? Explain it to me. What is what's the difference? First off, it's not underwear if it's outside. It's overwear. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! But no. Still no red Anyone trunks. Unfamiliar no, with this podcast, you now know where Jace Lee stands on <laughs> Superman. Yeah. Still no red trunks, but at least we got red boots back, which honestly, it was enough to make me justify liking the uh, the lack of trunks. So it's basically not that much different. Of course, you can't change Superman's outfit that much. Still got the red belt instead of the trunks, but we have mm-hmm. red boots, and they lost the sort of weird clunky like wrist gauntlet things that he had uh, acquired from the movies. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> He's got a nice I mean, little belt I'll, buckle. I've really liked the Superman book so far, and I'm excited that in 2017 we're going to get some answers about this this you know new old Superman, right? So it's the Superman from the pre-52, pre-New 52 continuity mm-hmm. in our current world. So I'm kind of excited how they're going to explain all that and what it might mean. Well, that'll be interesting. I think everyone's asking those types of questions. <laughs> I <laughs> right? mean, you've got to be at know. this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one other book I really want to make sure I mention here, because I, I'm oddly fascinated by this and it's the new black bolt series by saladin ahmed with art by christian ward and this oh. is the first comic that ahmed has written but i know he does like sci-fi and fantasy novels and one of his books was nominated for a hugo award i'm not really familiar with his work itself but it's a pretty high profile novelist coming over to work for marvel and of course mm-hmm. christian ward did the the odyssey series with uh, matt fraction for image so yeah but this is uh, Black Bolt, who, in my estimation, is probably the only interesting Inhuman character. And anybody whose real name is Blackagar Boltagon, like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in for that. So wait, is you didn't that know that? Real? That's really That's his real. name. That's continuity. That's of canon. Course I didn't know that. I barely know anything about Marvel. But uh, but. I guess the story here, the premise is that Black Bolt is trapped in a space prison and he's got to team up with some unlikely characters to escape. So it's like a genre type book. It's probably not too deeply connected to mainstream Marvel continuity, which is perfect for me. It's a random, weird C-list character that I've always been weirdly fascinated by. And it's somebody that doesn't normally work on comics and they're giving it a shot. So it's a random, again, it's sort of a number of variables that if it lands, it could be really exciting. And if it doesn't work... Uh, at least it'll be uh, a weird experiment, you know. So I'm excited for that. I, I'm not sure. sure when it starts. Though, sure, but. it's 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 not gonna work. It's not. It's not. I mean, Marvel. <laughs> I'm gonna warn you. This whole idea of getting a big essayist novelist and bringing them on board and trying to show them the ropes and get hey. them to write and acclaimed. It's not. Look, it's, it's not, not like it's it, not gonna work. Nick, it's worked for two of their writers. Yeah, it's not. I'm just. <laughs> You're just it's, mad because I mean, people yeah. aren't coming over to DC to do this kind of stuff. I don't. I don't know if like they're gonna put him on. I don't know. Like people, uh, it's uh, this. Uh, there's no. There's no grounds on which this is going to stand. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're being sarcastic right now because yeah, I, I really can't. I know about Black Panther. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. My Marvel ignorance is resoundingly um, robust in certain areas. Yes. But yes, this is Black Panther. This is one thing. And Miss Marvel. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. G Willow Wilson. Yeah. I will say, and isn't it kind of? This is the guy who can't talk right because he like he like he says words talk. and then the planet cuts in half yes. right basically right. He, his yeah. power is that when he speaks it like 
amplifies to like damaging levels so like he cannot <laughs> speak lest he destroys everything around him right this is really interesting because most of the time when you bring a novelist on board in comics and obviously maybe this guy will break the mold but they tend to get very wordy and very <laughs> chattery and that's just because they don't you know that's you got to hit your yeah. you know yeah well exactly it's what you're used to and so the guy that the idea that you're going to bring someone on who's probably going to be very talky on a book where the protagonist <laughs> will not speak at all yes. this sounds like i love that i think this yeah. could go <laughs> either way i think it honestly. behooves us to all buy this issue if only to yeah. see what happens like there's going to be so many thought bubbles in this maybe. book like this is going to be like this is going to bring the thought bubble back guys like this is going to be the no, book you know, where you know what's really interesting about black bolt as a character though is that they never as far as i know they haven't used thought bubbles with black bolt like yeah. ever well, it just seems like he's such a, a cheap way well, and he's always of... been a character that has he he works very very well with his wife medusa she <laughs> knows how to read him so whenever like something needs to be said or something needs to be done, she looks to him and he looks at her and she goes, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do." And they're never wrong. She's just been guessing, or she's wrong. She's just been wrong. No, all no, this time. no. And it's no. it's worked out really well. And that's kind of the beauty of their relationship is that they un- understand each other in s- at such a deep level that they don't <laughs> need words to be able to communicate like that. And Medusa doesn't have a telepathic power or anything like that. She just has like prehensile hair. <laughs> Which is a yeah. whole other thing, <laughs> but it'll be really interesting to see this book like that. That I didn't realize that this book was coming out, and that's actually very exciting. As someone who's yeah. kind of done with Inhumans at this point, I'm actually <laughs> like Black Bolt has been a favorite character of mine for a while too, and yeah. so anything that's got him in it, I'm, I'm at least my interest is peaked enough to try it. <laughs> you cool. you might be done with the Inhumans, but uh, Marvel is going <laughs> to make you love them. God uh, damn it. You are gonna yeah, or you know Doctor Strange lover, how I you know learned. Uh, what quit whatever and start loving the uh, Inhumans. Inhumans. Yeah. yeah, how I learned That's to quit just the X Men. Kubrick titles, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't really have anything else. I there's probably a million other things that we missed. I, I do. You guys have anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up the episode? Because we never we never say we're going to wrap up the episode, but I'm saying we should wrap <laughs> up the episode soon. If you unless you guys yeah. have anything else that you really want to mention, I know that there's. There's at least two a other couple items. quick hits. Yeah, quick hits. Let's go. Super with, Sons. Yeah. Super Sons. Oh, that's, that's quick right. One. Super Sons. Um, yep. So, of course, Batman has a kid. Superman has a kid. Um, and they, of course, don't like each other. Uh, go figure. <laughs> and Peter Tomasi is writing it. And he, for me, is the best writer of Damian Wayne out there, <laughs> hands down. So, uh, Jorge Jimenez's art looks pretty good. I don't know much about um what what is superman's kid's name frank (laughs) frank l it's it's john is it frank you know he's named after his grandfather jonathan kent so ah okay okay john l is it john l or is it just john oh boy john um (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know if he's teasing you because honestly i I don't know either that's a joke totally teasing i'm sorry um Uh, there's also the new Batwoman series, uh, written by Margaret Bennett and James Tinney the Fourth, art by Steve Epting. I've been waiting for a solo Batwoman book again oh. for a while, so this is a good creative yeah. team. I'm very excited for that. That's gonna get me. That's I'm I'm on board. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I've come to really love Margaret Bennett's writing on like her animosity yeah. has been stellar. So I'm sh- totally on board. Yeah, that'll be good. As and long then, as the book doesn't get too self-modern pop culture referentially, I mean, she can do that in... See, but that's totally yeah, not or, Batwoman. 
I, I think if she was writing Batgirl, it, it, it would isn't, work. and that's why it shouldn't oh, okay. happen. Yeah, and yeah. that's why I don't yeah. want it to happen. See, you gotta <laughs> um, try. You gotta try animosity. Animosity works. It doesn't do that. She she can totally yeah. write a book and that that's isn't what I'm like saying. that. Aliens Dead Orbit is probably the only other one I want to bring up. James Stoko, the artist who did Godzilla in Hell, and he also who did, was on a little chunk of Moon Knight, which was fantastic, and it was the Moon Riders, <laughs> and they were flying in space fighting against werewolves. Awesome. awesome. Every, I feel awesome. like everyone has drawn in everyone has drawn every artist has drawn a bit of Moon Knight within the last year. <laughs> uh, it honestly feels like every day I'm like, "Oh man, I really love this guy's work." And Mike's like, "He worked on Moon Knight too." Um <laughs> Yeah, man. Go figure. I yeah, mean, but, Jeff uh, Lemire somehow rank, managed to wrangle in some friends and was just like, "Let's do this book together." And Frank Avia mm-hmm. even showed up. So, come on. That yeah, book is Jeff fantastic. Jeff Lemire must have some serious fucking dirt on a lot of people. <laughs> No. You know, he writes Sweet Tooth that everyone's no. he's, he's like, oh, he's this really kind, sensitive guy, but really he's like got dirt no. on everyone, apparently. No. So, um, what is this I'm alien? What is this dead orbit about? So, it's just going to be four issues. It's a little Dark Horse miniseries. We don't know much about the plot other than it's a it's a lonely engineer As, who's yeah. the only guy on a, on a space station at the current moment mm-hmm. who gets attacked by xenomorphs. And of course, he's going to have to try to survive. And uh, honestly, uh, the alien, if the Alien series has taught me one thing, it's that uh, if you're an engineer on Earth, that's a good, hardworking, solid, great way to earn your, you know, earn your living. Uh, maybe a little bit boring, but uh, you know, you can really, you know, stick up for yourself and be proud. But if if you're an engineer in space, like you might as well sign your own death certificate. Like every, <laughs> everything I've learned about science fiction is like if you're an engineer in space, bad shit is going to happen to you. Like honestly. It's like you might as well just do yourself in because it's it's the most dangerous job in space. Apparently, it really is. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like look, I just want to build this space station, or I want to build a, I don't know what engineers would build a space bridge. I want to build a space bridge, space elevator, that's a thing. And and then it's like too bad you're an engineer in space. Get fucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, see, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here and say this, this is just the American government um, trying to dissuade oh, no. us from traveling out into space. See, they don't want us to actually know what's out there. So they use things like yeah. Godzilla and kaiju and other dimensional forces and aliens, xenomorphs, predators, just to t- say, you know what? It's scary out there. Don't go. And all these comic book writers are just in this cabal together. No, that's I can't I can't do that for too long. It's it's too much bullshit. That's <laughs> can you slow down? I'm trying. <laughs> to write all of this yeah down. yeah we'll have a long conversation after the episode the i promise and i'll tell you all of my 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 facts and theories that i've gotten from dreams and dark wikipedias that have all this information um that's got to be a thing out there right the dark web in wikipedia that just has oh, you sure. know user edited information about things the government doesn't want you to know jo- jordan has introduced me to a radio show that comes on late at night on like real broadcast radio what? and it's all about conspiracy theories like a couple nights ago we were listening to one about how these everyone's worried that like this giant piece of the antarctic shelf or something is going to come loose and when it comes out into the main part of the ocean it's going to melt and all of the microbes and ancient virus that were stored in it and frozen are gonna you know be reborn oh boy apparently so um it was good i'm it already was, writing I mean, my was, script right it was, now it was stellar entertainment um <laughs> uh yeah. see well, but we can I mean, get this in comic books yeah. right yeah yeah well don't for, don't forget that in in dc continuity there is a, a version of the internet called the interweb that only the supervillains have access to so that's oh, where they can I trade their plans that. and get their information. So check out the Unterweb. One last thing I have to mention, because I, sure. I was just reminded by it. 
in 2017, it seems like DC is going to go all in with their Hanna-Barbera licensing, you know, because they've been oh, doing the Flintstones yeah. book and the Future Quest book. We're going to get a, a Flintstones team up one shot with Booster Gold, it looks like. We're going to get... Um, <laughs> yep. We're going to get... Space a- Ghost and Green Lantern. Space Ghost and Green Lantern, Adam what? Strange and Future Quest. And the one I'm most excited for is Suicide Squad meeting up with the Banana Splits, uh, which is a group of anthropomorphic <laughs> animals that played in a rock band. Um, and I hope that they go, then this is, those are actually coming out. I'm excited for those. And I kind of want them you to just go just full war. I did not. I would love to see them go further and do Aquaman and Jabberjaw. I'd love to see Jonah Hex and Quick Draw Madraw. I want to see uh, Megilla Gorilla team up with Gorilla Grodd. I mean, oh, just go. Man. If you're going to have have the Hanna Barbera be Earth, you know, 27 or whatever, and just have all these crossovers happen, I'll buy every single one. Wow. What a, yes, what a wonderful way to, you know, make 2017 a brighter year. By crossing over the all of these Hanna Barbera titles, oh, mm-hmm. what is the Flintstone crossover even going to be about? What the hell could they even do? <laughs> what does, like my brain is cracking. Like talking dinosaurs well, yeah. with snark, like just looking in, at the at the reader, just be like, it's a living. Like, <laughs> so I mean, that oh. begs the question though: if if Booster Gold shows up and interacts with the Flintstones, he shows up in Bedrock. Is suddenly the Flintstones? DC canon? Like, is this continuity? Is this part I, of... I, see, that begs the be, question. Right? It's like the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover that they did, right, or the ba- right, right. or the Justice League Power Rangers one that they're doing right now, which in the mm-hmm. current issue, Batman steals the Pink Ranger Zord and flies away with it. So I just want to know, where in the continuity does this fall, if it does at all? Because that's yeah. amazing. That's, yeah, the, we need answers. These are important questions, so... These are very important questions. 2017 is looking brighter in comics, at least. Exactly. We can definitely say that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks to Nick White and Paul Jaceley. The music in this episode is brought to you by Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Write us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to this show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create every week for you. Or if you're looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesive.org And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book we're reading to be read on the show, make sure you join our group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode of our show on our subreddit at ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at ircbpodcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull-list posting, is to visit our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening.
yeah, I, I, for better or for worse, I grabbed a lot of that Godzilla yesterday, <laughs> uh, mainly because I wanted to see Stoko's art again, because, I don't know if you saw in the notes, but he's doing an Aliens, uh, and good God. Yep. Hmm. Have you seen the art for that? The art for what? For Dead Orbit, the Stoko Alien series. Oh, no. <laughs> They've released you a couple of promotional images. Yeah. Oh man, it looks really good. <laughs> and 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 of course, I, I did want to finish Godzilla in Hell. I, I bought the first issue when it came out, and I liked it, um, especially when it's like you know, abandon all hope, ye who enter here, and then Godzilla just flat out fucking blasts the sign. Oh man, that's like dude, the big that that's whole the beginning, is and I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> man. I this is that's the whole reason why I bought that that Godzilla book last night because I was like, fuck this, like. Or, or, or the other day, because you pointed it out to me, like, they're like, oh, they're doing a Godzilla sale. I was like, oh, Godzilla in blank? Okay, sure. Yeah. Godzilla rage across time. What does that even mean? I don't care. Like, Yeah, oh, me too. I was <laughs> okay. like, Ra- Godzilla, like, I, I mean, I think the initial hope for me was that he was actively time traveling, which would have made it even better. But I do think it's more like, like, in the 1700s, People thought it was ancient spirits, but it was actually Godzilla. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. <laughs> so he just sort of becomes a justification for different things. But, but yeah. in my mind, it was like Godzilla, like stepping into a giant-sized like, um, oh my DeLorean. You know, Godzilla with a DeLorean, <laughs> and like the power of love is playing, and he just like travels back in time to ke- keep his, uh, you know, parents from. Uh, and not breaking up or whatever the plot of Back <laughs> to the Future was. Yeah. All I remember is, you know, the whole awkward thing with um, Michael J. Fox and his mom and all that weird shit. Um, I actually read a really interesting article lately about how the producers of that movie, like, I think Bob Gale, right? He's the guy who created it. Um, something about him having to fight really hard to have that, like, really kind of awkward yet funny subplot because the producers were like, are you insane? There's no way in hell we're going to, like, do this, like, creepy sort of weird yet disturbingly funny sort of thing. Anyway. uh, Yeah, Yeah, uh, Godzilla. I'm buying this other (laughs) two volumes of Godzilla that I don't have buying them right now i see because a, a while ago i bought the godzilla volume one which is the series that simon gain or simone gain or whatever was on and uh i liked it it was really cool it's just like these it's a team of humans that are like oh man all these fucking kaiju monsters are, are showing up all over the world we got to go kill them <laughs> and it's on them and they actually start killing these people w- working in tandem with godzilla who's also killing them and they're like, maybe he's an ally, or maybe he's just another one we need to kill. And so, like, the group, it's it's ridiculous, and I fucking loved it. Sold. Um, and that was the reason why I bought uh, Godzilla in Hell, because I was like, that Godzilla story was fucking cool. And then it's a totally different thing, where it's just Godzilla, no dialogue, just killing monsters in Hell, which is awesome. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I feel like the big struggle of, like, Godzilla is that everyone secretly in the back of their mind is like, dude... I want to fucking team up with Godzilla. And, like, they imagine themselves in, like, a 90s, like, back-to-back, arms-crossed picture of them with Godzilla, you know, like, JCVD and and, uh, Dennis Rodman in that one movie they did. You know, it's like, (laughs) we're too cool, uh, and uh, we got to defend the streets or whatever. But then everyone else is like, look, you can't team up with Godzilla. He's a monster. Don't don't anthropomorphize him. You know, like, remember what we said about Godzilla in 97? And we were like, you know, no human can team up with Godzilla. 
Godzilla. And so everyone knows that that's what you're supposed to say about Godzilla, but secretly in the back of everyone's mind, everyone's like, I want to fucking team up with Godzilla, okay? <laughs> this is not rocket science. Yeah. He's going to fight things. I'm going to fight things. We're going to give each other a high five. A I'm going to pick out what five. sort of places. Yeah. Oof. I'm yeah, done. That's that. it. Bye. That. See Hold on. Bye. Hold Great. on, guys. I'm leaving. Yeah. That's, that's it. <laughs>